Welcome to Sinner Saint Sister. I'm Allison Sullivan, and this is a podcast about sometimes saving the world and sometimes just surviving in it. In the next hour or so, we will nurture our friendships, explore our joy, shake our fists, all while trying to serve our God, and most likely, all while wearing pajamas. I hope you hear something that lets you know you are loved and helps you love one another. Welcome to Center Saint Sister. This is a conversation about race. And before we get going, it feels important to point out that social justice is not a hot new topic made relevant by politicians or social media or hashtags. Instead, social justice is a topic that is near and dear to our God and always has been. Social justice, being our brother's keeper. It makes sense as we commune with God because a person in right relationship with God will begin to ache for the world that he created and loves to be set right. And things are not right. We live in a world ravaged by sin. You don't have to be clever or even a Christian to acknowledge the devastation in our nation and characterize it as otherworldly. As we speak and write and post and tweet, it's easy to see a people trying to be God apart from God, which is, of course, the oldest of stories, and I am certainly not exempt. Apart from my own sin, what grieves me the most is the church's lack of response. Not complete lack of response, but certainly enough to grieve me. Justice might get some mention in the prayers, but mostly it seems as though justice is something for God alone to work out. Our job only to remind him about it now and again. And I have to ask, why? As our brothers and sisters are crying out for equality, why? Shouldn't we, the biggest proponents of human dignity, Imago Dei, shouldn't we, the church, be leading this conversation? I think we should. There is a biblical call to justice. The entire Bible. There's the covenant code in Exodus. There's the holiness code in Leviticus. There's the Deuteronomic code in Deuteronomy. There's the wisdom literature, including the Psalms and Proverbs. There are the calls again and again from the prophets. Justice flows through the New Testament. In the Gospels, the epistles, the life of the early church is recorded in Acts. And justice is completely impossible to dodge in the life and ministry of our Savior, Jesus Christ. The entire Bible demands systemic justice. As Christians, we study the story of a God who liberates an oppressed people from a powerful empire and creates a remarkable covenant with those people Worship no God other than me, he says. Create a different society that is in opposition to the values of empire, he demands. And then when they don't, when they create their own empire, God sends the prophets again and again, calling them back to himself. And then, just as promised, just as prophesied, gifts among all gifts, redeemer, savior, friend, God sends us Jesus. Jesus, the full revelation of God. Jesus, who shows us what God is like. Jesus, who shows us how to be human. Jesus, who goes out of his way to welcome those we would reject, to befriend those we would exclude, to hire those we would fire, to protect people who lived without protection in their societies. But church, that's not all. It doesn't even end there. The early followers of Jesus, the early church, with the Holy Spirit moving freely in their midst, were themselves a covenant renewal. 
the early followers of Jesus loved God and they loved their neighbor and they formed an inclusive community and they eliminated need. They lived with compassion. And true compassion is being so moved at a gut level that we are moved to the point of action. This is the story that we follow throughout scripture. This is our mandate. And this is justice. The same justice that we read and sing and preach on Sundays is the same justice that we ignore on Monday. Why? I do have an idea why. I came upon something recently that blinked like a neon sign when I read it. It was this. There's a story that's often told about a townspeople along a river who began to see people floating downstream in distress, drowning near death. And with great compassion, they would throw out lifelines. They would row out in boats. They would swim out to rescue the victims from drowning. And the incidences, at first isolated, began to increase. And always the townspeople, they would respond. Over time, they began to improve and expand their life-saving abilities until finally one day, someone from the town suggested that they would better utilize their resources by just going upstream to find out why people were falling in or who was throwing them in, and then try to prevent it. And in this story, we see the difference between charity and justice. Charity, it seeks to treat symptoms while justice seeks to undo social diseases that create the symptoms in the first place. And friends, maybe you're seeing it too if you're the one suggesting going upstream. Maybe you're seeing it too. In our individualistic society, I have noticed among my Christian friends that it is far easier to talk about charity because talking about justice usually plops us right in the middle of our politics. And there's the rub our politics informing our religion instead of our religion informing our politics. This certainly isn't a political podcast, but it is entirely a Christian one. So I feel like I need to say something about the biblical definition of justice so that we can, as followers of Christ, put aside the political definition. In the Bible, the word for justice also means righteousness. In both the Greek and the Hebrew, the words are synonymous Righteousness implying a personal dimension and then justice implying a social dimension. So biblically speaking, the common understanding of righteousness might be relational, being right with God and or being right with others, with the common understanding of justice as standing up for what is right. One word encompassing both. Acknowledging the full definition of righteousness or justice as more than just individual, but also societal, compels one seeking righteousness or justice to head upstream. And in that way, righteousness is more than just a personal holiness, but it also demands justice as it seeks to eliminate the root causes of suffering. And pursuing it does more than grant us a jewel in our crown one fine day, but it also transforms social structures and systems because thy kingdom come here, now. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, the Samaritan first felt compassion. He was then moved to the point of action. He then became personally involved. He was then interrupted and inconvenienced. He then took a personal risk and he then willingly used his own means. And this is what I'm afraid of. Our world is not so different than the one Jesus walked with its principalities and powers. 
We also live in a culture based on lust and greed and power and pride and dominance. It's all around us. And chances are, in one way or another, those powers and principalities are keeping us from mission. And they are hardening our hearts against people for whom Jesus' heart would break. We are still lured by a status quo. When the church proclaims and worships a God of the status quo, the church loses its prophetic voice. But if the church is to be true to Jesus, if the church wants to follow Jesus, employing both definitions of what it means to be righteous and just, the church must once again regain its prophetic voice by rejecting the status quo and resisting the dark temptation to build a kingdom around the promise of comfort and prosperity. Social justice is often irrelevant in churches that specialize in individual salvation, stopping short when it comes to Jesus' desire to transform both people and the social order. Issues of justice become too political. They're perceived as dangerous to people in church who are there for their own individual needs. It is risky business to go against the status quo when we are benefiting from the status quo. Friends, there are things that are keeping us from distributing the love that God gave first. And I don't know what it is for all of us, but I do know that nothing can change until it becomes what it is. So what if we were a little more honest about what our hang-ups were about race? What if we could be kind and gentle with ourselves? What if we could invite the Holy Spirit to those places? Is it possible that it's arrogance? Is it that we think that a certain group of people shouldn't have what we have until they behave like we behave? Because if that's the case, it's important to know that the only people Jesus didn't show mercy to was the unmerciful. Is it possible that it's spiritual laziness? Is it that it seems like it's a great idea to ache for the world that God loves to be set right, but everything feels a little hopeless and we feel a little powerless against it all? Because if that's the case, it's probably important to know that justice and peace in the world will absolutely require all of us. We can join our voices. There is no shortage of work. Is it possible that it's fear? Is it possible that we might feel called to a certain activism, but following that calling would really disrupt our lives or cost us some popularity? Might even be dangerous. Because if that's the case, it's probably important to know that Jesus harps on, without being a nag, of course, that losing a false life for the sake of the gospel is pretty important. And truthfully, martyrdom is always a reality for the Christian. So what are the things that are keeping us from living on mission? If we're striving to live a holy life, sitting around and talking about Jesus with our smart friends, it isn't enough. We have to also live out the gospel he proclaimed. The reason our Christianity isn't changing the world isn't because we're not sitting around and talking about it enough. We're doing that. The reason that the world is not changed by our Christianity is because we are not doing what Jesus did. Jesus brought to us a new way to live. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. And we say that, we sing that, we pray for that. We might even fast for that reality. But for it to have any meaning at all, we have to spend some time thinking about what heaven will be like and then start living that out now. Can we close our eyes and take a deep breath and invite the Holy Spirit and consider what will be abolished in heaven? What will be maintained in heaven? What will be restored in heaven? 
Jesus is drawn to the sorrowful. Jesus stands up for the persecuted. Jesus lives out justice and mercy. This is what Jesus is like. And if we try to understand Jesus apart from the people he went out of his way to protect, we inevitably get him wrong. From the book of Acts, all who believed were together and had all things in common. These are my friends, Marcus Lloyd, executive director of Threaded, a ministry for racial reconciliation and co-host of Colored Commentary, and Ryan Pale, community care pastor at Grace Bible Church. At first glance, we might not look like we have all that much in common, but these two give me so much hope in thy kingdom come. Marcus Lloyd and Ryan Pale. <laughs> Hi, fellas. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so grateful that you're here. I'm so grateful that you have given your time to this conversation with me. It's, first of all, so important. But second of all, this moment in time, this current cultural climate that we're in has given voice and platform to so many activists lately. And I, I've been reading, I've been listening, I've been leaning in, I've been trying to get as uncomfortable. And to this day, even as much as I have been exposed to leaders in this movement, I have to say that you two are two of my very, very favorite. Um, you are so smart and wise and balanced. And to me, you are the best of the best. You are just the absolute best of the best. You are the truest of the true. But in addition to being such amazing activists, you are dear dear friends to me, and I'm so grateful to be, and a little bit guilty, <laughs> to be on the receiving end of so much. So thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for being here. Yeah, I'm so grateful. Yeah. Um, so as we know, the measure of a society, it's, um, it's, it's not necessarily how we treat people who are doing just fine, but instead the measure of a society is how it treats the least of these, those who are not doing just fine. And the African-American community has been telling us forever that everything is not just fine. And it seems as though, um, due to tragic national headlines, that people might finally be starting to listen. It feels like there has been a shift in the atmosphere. Uh, you know, Ahmad and George and Brianna, they are all so egregious. It's, it's all been so, so tragic and frankly avoidable um, that people, even very comfortable people, have started to put their foots, their foots, have started to put their feet. That's why y'all have the, <laughs> the speaking gigs, not me. <laughs> but they are putting their feet down saying that we can and must do better. Um, and so it's, it's encouraging and it's glorious to watch these, you know, really moderate people saying no more. Um, and so people have taken to social media. They have taken to their dinner tables with their very own families. They've even taken to the streets to start to speak up. And so we're watching this and we're so encouraged, right? And then I assume you're seeing what I'm seeing, that something else has, has started to happen. And, um, and, and Marcus, as a black man, you are already kind of smiling and nodding your head. And Ryan, as someone who has been having this conversation, you know, for 20 years, we all already know what I'm about to say. And that is that as people have started announcing um, their convictions, 
As people have started announcing their alliances, other people have started announcing their hesitation, whether that's through concern or whether that's through conspiracy theories. But the whole goal, it seems, is, is making it seem that um, this is something far more complicated than just, or maybe even sinister, but it's something far more complicated you know, than helping our neighbors or, or standing up for our friends or listening to and bearing witness to the pain of others. And so at best, those hesitations, they might look like, um, oh, I don't you know, complex social theory terminology <laughs> um, that suggests people who are speaking out are just trying to make people dependent so they can employ this larger goal of socialism as a Marxist. Um, or they might question the heinousness of protesting um, and focus on that instead. Or they might focus on um, the tenets of Black Lives Matter that they don't agree with perfectly. And so, so that's at best. You know, at best, people are kind of changing the subject, right? Um, but then, of course, there's at worst, which is that there's just still good old-fashioned racism around, complete with racial slurs and everything. And so what I would like to do today is I would like to bring up some of those subject changes or some of those outright racist comments. And I would like to give you two um, just an opportunity to, let's just go through them. Can we do that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so now that I just talked for a solid, wow, five minutes, I guessed three. <laughs> Usually a little better at that. Bed. We had a bet on that. <laughs> <laughs> we still got 10 minutes left. Um, but I would, love to he- I would love for the listeners to hear a little bit about who you are and what you're doing, Ryan Pale, and kind of maybe if you could umbrella speak what you're seeing and then same from you, Marcus, real quick. Yeah, that's really good. Thank you, Allison. I'm really, really grateful to get to be um, on Center State Sister again. That's uh, I love the things that you're talking about. Um, very culturally aware, but also biblically grounded. So thank you so much for that. Thanks for having this conversation. It is risky. I think it's been the very interesting thing during this time. On, on one hand, I feel like on, on any given day, I'm, I'm in several different emotions about this topic. I can go one minute from being very, very encouraged, encouraged, maybe a conversation I had with a friend, maybe somebody who's just being willing to believe some of the stories that are coming out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll be very, very encouraged at that small, small step, but then I'll hear somebody else who maybe I have a lot of respect for, hope that they would be further down the road, and they're just not willing to have the conversation, mm-hmm. they just shut it down. So I feel mm-hmm. like uh, over the last couple of months, it's been kind of that this back and forth, encouraged, discouraged. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been very interesting. I guess I'm used to maybe before that was just... <laughs> just discouraging <laughs> so maybe, maybe that's good but it's interesting you, you brought up the, the distractions um i, I had a uh, there's a, a black pastor in uh the brian college station area um and so he and i were talking maybe about a week ago and he gave me some great wise advice he said um he said he goes ryan that the, the conversations about the statues and that's a big conversation at a and yeah. so defund the police black lives matter that's to a certain extent, that's all noise. When you deal with the statues, when you pull them down, the hearts of man are still, or the hearts of mankind is still, still has racism in them. So certainly they're important conversations, but he says they do nothing for the hearts that need to be transformed by uh, the race conversation. Essentially, he's saying what you're saying, which is they become distracting. Instead, what he was saying is we need to be grounded 
biblically. We need to be grounded in the church. We need to know how to wade into those conversations. We need to be educated before we go into those. Otherwise, we have um, what, what some other other people have called the failure of the success of the civil rights movement, which is we 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 create some external changes, but internally we still have some some darkness that resides, some racism that resides. So the concern, I guess, in wading into those distracting conversations would be that our hearts are still um, are still racist. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So starting at the beginning. Yeah, Marcus. yeah. No, that's good. Hey, glad to be on the show. As a, as a sinner, I, I'd love to have my <laughs> name mentioned in the show title. That's right. good. Uh, and being with Ryan again, uh, always a pleasure. It's been a Absolutely. minute, brother, but it's been too yes. long. I'm glad we're here. Um, yeah, I resonate with, with kind of stuff you're doing. I mean, in the work that we're doing right now, we, we focus in so much on trying to make sure that the gospel is centered in the middle of this mm -hmm. message, right? And I think one of the things that that gives me a sense of, I don't know, disappointment right now and, and, and some sense of like, I don't know, satisfaction, satis, uh, satisfaction, thank you. <laughs> you know, the team that I've had, you know, we've been talking about this for a long time. Yeah. And, sure. you know, I have a buddy who, who, who texted me the other day or I did a Marco Polo with me and he's like, like in the middle of this, he's like, man, you should have just, you should just put a, a note out there saying threading. We told you so. <laughs> yeah. Like, yes. like we've just been talking about this for a while, and so there's a great bit of satisfaction in some sure. ways that 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 there's an opportunity to to lean in on this because we need to do it. But there's disappointment that it had to take what it took to get to yeah. this point, sure. you know, and for the church even to dive in on this point, yes. right? That's that's yes. what's so disappointing. Uh, I think we have uh, an amazing opportunity as the church to lean in on this, and and I'm. I'm tired. I'm hoping that the church will, will try to give some energy and put it in there. Uh, but if we miss this moment, man, it's going we're going to be playing a lot more catch up than we're already doing. So I'm, yeah. I'm really concerned about that. And mm -hmm. I think that's what I'm feeling right mm -hmm. now. Yeah. Um, well, as we know, social media is such a place of extremes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it doesn't seem that there's really much of a middle. And so I have just gathered some literal quotes that have come into me. Um, and I was just going to take them one by one and, and see what we all thought. Uh, that sounds yeah. like a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, right. I know. Yeah, I can I, add some quotes too. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I know. I'm sure that you have your own set. I literally sent this text with a trigger warning. Um, okay, so, so number one, it says, I don't think it makes sense to live in the past. It's a way of distracting our attention from reforms that could actually improve lives for black Americans. We currently harm them with our help. Black families and communities were doing pretty well in the 1950s. That one has so many, there's so much in that, right? Like when I read that, I didn't even know how to attack it fully. Like there's just points, right? So I, one, of, one of the things I like to do is try to go, okay, I, I hear you on this point, right? It doesn't help us to live in the past, but it does help us to recognize the past. It helps, it, it's, it's imperative, right? In fact, we as Christians, we, we live and recognize the past all the time. We talk about things 2,000 years ago and how it has changed the way we do things. We just saw a spaceship go up into, you know, into outer space from te Tesla, a, a private space. Like you had to know about the past to even get to that point. Mm. Uh, and so I think that's a distraction. I think that's, that's good. I think people don't want to mess with the past because they can't, in some ways they have, they have themselves determined that the past was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so they don't want to have to deal with that anymore. Yeah. And so, uh, but, the, and, and, and one of the distractions that comes is particularly in the areas of like reform, right? Mm -hmm. That this is talking about, 
you know, people to be like, okay, so what are the, what are the, the policies right now that need to be reformed? And I will go, look, I can give you a list if you want, but what you have to understand is that if you don't understand the past, you don't even recognize that so much of what we're dealing with right now is not because of something that went into policy in 2016 or 19 or 18, but it's something that went into policy in 1970, right? Or something that went into policy in the 1980s right. or 1994, right? right? And you'll see, like, it's building on itself. But if you don't know the history of that, then you look in this moment and you go, what's wrong with these people? Why can't they get back to this quote-unquote 1950s uh, you know, paradise that apparently black people lived in. Look, my, my parents grew up in that and my grandmother grew up in that. And I can tell you right now that that was not a paradise for them. Now, to their point, there was great things in that the black community uh, was being able to kind of, you know, be close amongst themselves and that. But but they were as a group denied so many things. Sure. Uh, my grandmother didn't. She talks about all the time she didn't get to vote until she was 37 years old. Mm. Right. And she's, you know, when she, I mean, when Obama was elected president, she was like, I never would have dreamed this. Mm -hmm. And I remember walking to go into school when she'd come and babysit us. And I remember she's going, I hope you and your black friends appreciate the kind of opportunities you are getting of education because mm -hmm. we never got that. Right. Mm -hmm. So I don't know what this 1950s sort of paradise that they're talking about, but uh, nobody I know, and again, this is not about individual stories only, but it's a collective conversation, mm -hmm. but I have seen no collective historical evidence to show that the, that that 1950s is a part of black uh, history that we want to go back to and yeah. live in again. Yeah. Right. So. right. That's good. I'm glad this recorded because I'm going to like have to hit pause multiple times and, yeah. be like, and just listen and let it saturate. Thank yeah. you, Marks. I, I agree. With that, that particular quote um, reminded me of in the in the area of mental health which is thankfully our society is becoming more and more aware of mental health mm -hmm. there's this collision between people who are typically younger are willing to like excavate and think through past trauma and all that good stuff mm -hmm. but then the pre the generation before is like kind of that same mentality leave mm -hmm. the past in the past i'm not going to let my whatever trauma childhood trauma define who i am today but the reality is um, we just read this book, The Body Keeps the Score, which is mm -hmm. amazing, but the reality is, is that, that trauma is stored in your body. Right. Physiologically, it's stored in your body. You don't get a choice. And it does, that's exactly right. And it doesn't, and it comes out, and you actually don't get to um, redeem that, to use our Christian language, you, you don't get to redeem that until you deal with it. Mm -hmm. And so it seems like it's that same mentality that we maybe have the, 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 um, the privilege of being in the West. We have that mentality of being, being able to say, oh no, I'm not going to deal with that. The past is in the past. But it still has it in the same way that trauma has effects today. This kind of collective trauma with race in America still has effects today. And until we deal with it and address it and call it what it is, we don't actually get to move forward. Right. And everybody has to deal with that trauma, right? Whether yeah. it's you personally who yes. have to deal with it internally or the people who are now receiving the, the, the effects of your trauma on them because you didn't deal with it, yeah. right? I always yeah. talk about people have, their personalities have these dials. Like there's all these ways in which you, you, you can turn the dial and, and you're, you're growing in maturity in these areas, you know, relationally, spiritually, physically, whatever. But if you have a traumatic thing happen in your life, it actually stops your maturation in that right. process. And you deal with everybody from whatever age that is all the, for the rest of your life. Uh, and that at the age of eight, you know, like my, my father's father died when he was eight years old. He hasn't done any, any counseling around that. So he has some, some ways in which he still deals with things as an eight year old right. because he never dealt with that block. Mm -hmm. Trauma can happen not only again this, in this conversation, 
it can not only happen to the oppressed, but the oppressor can mm-hmm. also be a receiver of that of that trauma. We sure. see that in yeah. you know genocides and things of that nature. So wow. yeah, you're, you're right. So you can analyze the past, but not get stuck there. But you absolutely cannot heal what you refuse to acknowledge. Absolutely, it's a myth to move forward without dealing with it. I mean, whether it's in race conversation, I mean, especially in race conversation. Right. But it's a great privilege if you have the ability to do That's that. That's exactly right. Yeah, right. Okay, so number two. Um, this one came to me. Everybody just has a narrative and I cannot, I will not pick sides. I only choose God's side. It's an easy one. Uh, I feel like <laughs> Is this one quick. This one felt quick for me too. I feel like you, uh, um, yeah, you, you, uh, Jesus was very, very clear, uh, in, in who was truly blessed, uh, was the, uh, the poor, uh, the poor, the oppressed. Um, he sided with them. He was them. He walked among them. He sided with the, the sinners, sat with, uh, to the chagrin of everybody around that wasn't, he sat with the, the oppressed and the outcast. Um, and then James lightly encourages us to, to hang out with the oppressed because otherwise our faith would be proven fake uh, or dead. Um, and so I I, I have a hard time saying that, that a move toward working with the oppressed um, would be choosing a side that's not a side that Jesus chose. Right, right. Yeah. Seems clear. Yeah, it, it seems clear. I mean, that's, that's the hard part. I try to think about that question, like, what are they trying to do there? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, the idea of I, everybody has a narrative. I refuse to choose sides, right? So everybody has a narrative. So when people talk about the narrative of the oppressed, but this person is, in many ways, is trying to, they're trying to share or even hijack that narrative. It's not fair mm-hmm. that your narrative, in many ways, is being much more acknowledged than my own narrative, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that's the conversation a lot of times. There's this conversation that's out there. It's like, hey, if you, if you talk about Black Lives Matter, you're, fav- you're showing favoritism, mm-hmm. right? You are, there's a, a reverse racism, whatever that means, in the, in the midst mm-hmm. of that, right? And I love what you're saying because it's absolutely true. I always, I always say this, like Jesus is the ultimate like uh, privileged uh, entity in the world. Like he had messianic privilege. And when he chose to leave his gate, golden gated community and come down to earth, he, he, he had a choice. I mean, he could have existed in any body that he wanted to exist in. And yet he chose this, this tribe, which he had been connected to forever. But even in that tribe, he chose to be from Nazareth, which is even amongst that tribe of people are going, what? Who comes from Nazareth? Like, well, nothing good's coming from there. He chose to be uh, in a teen pregnancy, right? He had to be a refugee for a little bit in, 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 in Egypt. Uh, and then he chose to, to live as those who don't have anything. Right. He chose there's no that the son of man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. He chose to be homeless in the midst of that. Uh, And and then as he's giving his message, he talks about the ways in which even there's there's even sort of this. Again, it's not full soteriology, but there's this salvific message in in Matthew 25 in which he talks about the the sheep and the goats. And he says, you know, if you give to the hungry, give water to the thirsty, visit the poor. Uh, you know, all those things. If you do these things, you are doing them as if you've done them for me. And then he says, welcome to the kingdom. Yes. Those who didn't do that, they go someplace else. Right. So in that mode, he is, he is showing partiality in the sense of how you should point and direct yourself towards these people who are oppressed. And even beyond that, he is identifying with them. So what Jesus ultimately is doing here in the sense of taking sides is he basically is going, there is a group of people in this, in this world who if you ask them who does God love and who has God blessed, they're gonna be pointing to the rich and the powerful because they look like they're getting the blessings. Right. 
And yet he chooses to come and be a part of them and identify with them so as to tell them, hey, if you ever question whether you matter to God, just know that God came and lived amongst you and you who are rich and powerful. If you ever question that the, that the poor and the oppressed matter to God, <laughs> then you're questioning whether Jesus matters at all, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's just, to me, it's, again, it, it's a simple one. If you, if you can just read the Bible without the lens of desiring to put yourself in a position where you don't have to do anything about the, the poor right. and the oppressed. That's right. You don't want to do anything, then you can, then you can pick, your, pick your narrative and your side or whatever. Yes. But God says, in fact, God judges the, all through the Bible. He judges not because they oppress the rich, but because we oppress the poor. Mm -hmm. So that's right. God picked that's up. right. I, it's, I think one of the things that's scary about a question like that is it, it, it communicates, I, I don't know what the person's intention was, but it right. almost communicates this indifference of yeah. God toward his people. Mm. Like that there's no side, that they just kind of work it out. It's a very yeah, in, come on. impersonal God that's not invested in our, in our lives, yeah. which is really yeah. scary. Yeah. I mean, which, of course, the truth is that he very much laid his power aside, as we're talking about, and was a brown man killed by keepers of the law. Yeah. And so it's like we're formed enough to say that Jesus saves the whole world through his cross, but we don't want anything to do with it. Mm -hmm. We want to live and, and keep our world as much the same as possible. Um, number three, this one might be quick. Um, I believe also, <laughs> except they're never quick with you two because y'all just dive so deep. I love it. Because we talk a lot. No, I love it. It's so good. Um, I believe in fighting for people of color. But I need to be fought for, too. Perhaps this goes hand in hand. Mm -hmm. I think this might go hand in hand with the, the, the one previous. I believe in fighting for people of color, but I need to be fought for, too. We all deserve the same consideration because God died to save us all. I'm not going to disagree with them. We, we all deserve to be fought for. That's exactly what we're talking about. This is the idea of all lives matter or black lives matter. Right? Mm -hmm. the, the thing we have to recognize is that particularly in this country, there was never a time when anybody would say all lives don't matter. Mm -hmm. And there was never a time in which this country pointed and said and, and acted in such a way and the people acted that said all lives don't matter. Mm -hmm. It has always been from the beginning of this country that all lives matter. But historically and throughout this country and even today, what we see is that there are some lives who don't seem to matter. And we can point to it. It's just fact that we've literally set up systems and we've set up in the body politic, we have written into the constitution that there are certain folks that lives did not matter. So to now say, to point to these folks and say, I'm gonna fight for these folks is actually lining up exactly what we just said, lining up with the biblical uh, precedent and narrative in which we are, we are, we're not taking away the value that God has for all mankind, but we are recognizing through the scriptures that he does he does push us to fight for particular groups who don't have the ability or the power to fight for themselves. Yes. But yes, all people should be fought for. And the great thing is, if you fight for those who are experiencing injustice, then when your turn comes, yeah. then you will also be fought for for experiencing injustice yes. so, when you're experiencing that. I've got nothing to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Drop it, Marcus. Drop it. Yeah. Here we go. That good. <laughs> okay, number four. If black people would pull up their pants and get a job, then maybe when they cried about victimhood, people might take them more seriously. So there's a couple things. I'm really that sorry. That is about. horrible to have to hear. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's not the worst thing I've heard yeah. uh, in my life or in the last week. <laughs> That'll be another podcast. <laughs> um, so I, I, when I thought about this question, I thought of all the 
personally for me all of the stereotypes that I have adopted over the years, whether from growing up. Um, so I, I, I the it toxins just we these, breathe in. Absolutely. So it's the so you know you have the uh, the mindset or the caricature is um, you know guys hanging out at uh, at a corner store um, and not getting a job, and the interpretation that I had was. Um, was a laziness or um, an, an unwillingness to adhere. You know, if people are sagging, which does anybody even sag anymore? That's uh, not, uh, it's not not it's uh, not popular. Yeah, it's not what I've anymore. Seen. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway, so um, so but but the issue is, if they would only adhere to what I want them to adhere to, then then they could be successful in this world. So it's obviously riddled with uh, uh, with lies, but that is a common. Uh, statement. And a lot of people also say it's not, you know, I don't have a problem with black people, I have a problem with black culture. Like that's another iteration of this. Yeah, that, man, that is, you know, sometimes <laughs> I, I always, I always want to take people on a journey through history and just go, who, and I've said this before, who are you high-fiving in history with your comments? Like mm. that is such a, that it's is such a, no, that is such a, it is so, cliche that comment like it has been said at every point in this movement um i mean i'm thinking even going back to like slavery right like once slavery was over right like what the narrative of the the happy work hard slave all of a sudden turned into the lazy black person as if black people didn't just spend 300 years doing all the work you know what i'm saying but black people were now didn't have a, they didn't have jobs they, so they were kind of they'd be sitting around and so they created laws that were about vagrancy, where they could yes. put people in jail for not yes. having a job. Just right about this. And, and it was right at the top. So, but there was always this narrative, right? Black people don't, didn't name this narrative about ourselves. It was given to us about it. Right. But it, it reminds me of, uh, you know, Ibram X. Kennedy does a really good job of mm -hmm. articulating this in both of his books, Stamp from the Beginning and How to Be an Anti-Racist. This, this, this um, concept of uplift suasion. If you just act a certain way, right? If you can just get closer to this normalcy, which is ultimately yeah. whiteness, sure. everything would be fine. Let me give you a quick story that, that shows that that's, that may not be the case. So Allison, you and I grew up together. We went to Klein High School, right? It was great stuff. My brother, who was three years ahead of us, mm -hmm. uh, was, I called him in my family, he's the super genius. My sister's the super creative, my brother's the super genius, and I'm just me. <laughs> uh, I get whatever's left over, just kind of funnels into me, right? But my brother, he graduated number 11 in the class in, in high school. There was 990 kids in the class, right? Uh, he goes off to be, go to the Air Force Academy. Uh, he goes through there, graduates from the top 10% at the Air Force Academy. He goes to the uh, University of Maryland, gets his graduate degree, graduates in like the top 1% there. Goes to flight school. He's flying C-5s, the truck driver of the Air Force, back and forth to Saudi Arabia out of San Francisco. He's taking tanks, bringing back dead bodies. He's working for the Air Force. Goes to work at the Air Force Academy for three years. He teaches political science. Right, does amazing stuff. He goes off to Penn State, gets his doctorate, right, in political science and all this stuff, comes back to the Air Force Academy, they give him a tour there, teaching at the Air Force Academy for another three years. He's now in Germany, right, overseeing most of the logistics of the African-European theater for the Air Force in that region. Now, this is my brother that I just told you about. He's military, he's sports, super genius, great guy. When he's living in Colorado Springs in his last tour there, he decides he's gonna go take a run. What does he do? He laces up his tennis shoes, he gets his, his gym stuff on, and he takes a run through downtown Colorado Springs. He's running through downtown Colorado Springs, a truck full of white dudes pass by, and they yell out the window, run, nigga, run! My brother did everything right, and yet, 
When they saw him running down the street, because of the color of his skin, they immediately put him in a category. Mm -hmm. So this person can say all they want. If they would just pull up their pants and do all this stuff, it doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if I pull up my pants. You have a bias that you are not uh, evaluating. And you're going to put that on me until you open up your mind and, tr and do the first step, which is to reorient yourself and to admit and confess that you may have a bias about this that didn't necessarily come from you specifically, but it's just baked into society. That's right. And so this is this this question. It's it's right. frustrating because I've done all those same things and I still get the same stuff. So right. All right. 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 I think I think we also have to evaluate. There, there is a there is a standard that's set up that that this person, others like them, expect other people to meet. So if you don't meet that that standard, and this is completely materialistic, if you don't meet mm -hmm. the standard, you fail. Yeah. You you were relegated to uh, to the poor to to being poor forever, and so we even even that has to be an admission that majority culture that white people set the norm. Right. That's right. And so a deviation from what we have established as the norm is wrong. So uh, it's it's kind it's of wrong. Automatic. That's the key. It's wrong. It's, That's it's right. not different. It's wrong. That's it's right. wrong. Yeah. It's wrong. So and as a small story, um, so maybe gosh, this would be in early two thousands, uh, so a do rag. Um, I had no idea that do rags were functional. Like the skull cap, like the yeah. they're, they're functional. <laughs> I my interpretation was that was that that was a style, and then that style was a deviation from whiteness because mm -hmm. white people don't need to wear a do-rag. Mm -hmm. And so because it was a deviation, it was criminalized. Mm -hmm. So when you see three boys walking around with that with a do-rag on, now all of a sudden I think gang, I think uh, criminality, whatever, they're up to no good. Mm -hmm. they're, they're, it, it's for their hair. <laughs> <laughs> and, and yes, it's incorporated in the song, that's whatever. But But even that alone is just you just by doing what is normal for you deviates from me and therefore is wrong. And that is a wrong statement that we that we've just kind of all all bought into. Yeah. To be born into a world where you feel like you belong is no small thing. Mm -hmm. And so when you're constantly having to prove yourself or assimilate, I mean I I can't imagine the exhaustion just when things are going well. Mm -hmm. And yeah and then the consequences when things are going bad. Mm. I mean, that's a, that's a quick jump from going from tired to dead in the street. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, number five. Why are we not outraged that black men are abandoning their families? This whole tragic weakening of a race, it all comes back to fatherlessness. I think, I think part of what needs to constantly be caveated in that particular expression is that fatherlessness is not unique to black people, right? It's not like we're the only people who, who have families that are broken and don't have fathers. Um, what, what may be unique <laughs> is the ways in which fatherlessness happens in that community. I mean, I, I live in a white community, grew up in a white community. I saw plenty of divorced families, uh, kids who didn't have fathers. I saw plenty of people who had fathers living in the house, but they would be gone all week because they worked some other job that was outside in some other place. I've got people like that in my neighborhood. I've seen people who had fathers who didn't actually engage them. They were working so hard. So that's another type of fatherlessness that's wreaking havoc in white communities. It's creating kids that are entitled and kids that have a higher rate of suicide and, and uh, uh, drug use. That's not the, the stuff that you hear about on the news, but stuff they mix up in their own bathrooms, right? That with, their, with their mom's antidepressants and things like mm. that, right? So, 
So I think that conversation to the start of it needs to be a caveat of that is not unique to the color of people's skins. Mm -hmm. That is just mm -hmm. unique to humanity in whatever situation that they're in. So mm -hmm. when you go into a black community, predominantly black, you've always got to take in the societal external forces that are engaging in that, right? Just like you go in any other community. Why are white dads so, so, fa so absent as fathers where there's external forces that are happening there? It's not unique to something internal. Um, you know, we, we can talk about in the black community fatherlessness can go all the way back to the change in the industrial evolution where all of a sudden black people had lots of these jobs and things that were going on. The industrial revolution crashes. It crashes. And because we had been locked out of education for so long, yes. we didn't we weren't ready to take on the digital age because we had just gotten invited into the industrial age. Right. But you had all these people who had great middle class jobs that were working. Yep. All of a sudden those are gone. You're in the community yep. and then drugs from the rich areas get pumped into your community and you're looking for an escape from just how you feel about life. And so you maybe do drugs or you start to sell drugs to try to pay for the things that you need. And then all of a sudden the war on drugs comes in and people are militarizing police and they're criminalizing drug use instead of turn into a health crisis and so now they're coming into your neighborhoods and they're taking the men out and they're throwing them in jail for a minimum of five years for the same amount of crack or the same amount of powder cocaine and crack levels uh, because of the injustice of, of the judicial system about how they did mandatory minimums right so you're the black men are being taken out and then when they come back after five years they because of the 13th amendment they don't have any rights to vote to, they can't live in certain houses they can't live with their families because the evictions with criminals they can't get jobs because if you put a criminal uh, you that you have a criminal background on the job you're definitely not getting a job and if you're a black man you you're not even going to get a job as i mean there's guys who have criminal records who are white who get more jobs than black people without criminal records. Mm -hmm. So you can't get a job, you don't have a place to live, and you can't vote to change the system. What are you gonna do? You're gonna jump right back into the thing that you probably weren't doing before, but you're gonna do now, and then it puts you right back into prison. So all of a sudden, all these fathers are being taken out, right? And they're killing, and look, just to be clear, there's also people killing one another, right? That is also something that is not unique to a black community. That happens in every community. There are black people killing other black people, just like there are white people shooting up their schools for whatever reason, killing each other. So yes, black people are losing men are losing their lives and, and father and kids are growing up without fathers. It is absolutely true, but it does not have to do with the color of people's skin. Yeah. It's human nature and the external forces that are acting upon it. So, you know, you mentioned um, access to education. And so think that statistics show, correct me if, if I'm wrong, is that it's really fatherlessness isn't about the color of your skin. It's really about a working class. Mm. And so post-World War II, the GI Bill yep. was available to veterans and white veterans took advantage of this. And with new college degrees in hand, they were able to move from the working class to the middle class. And so what you had in the South is that most colleges, that wasn't open. There was not enrollment for black Americans who might've been trying to take advantage of this you know, GI Bill. And then they were um, sent to smaller black schools that were overwhelmed with applications. And so there was never this opportunity with ease for black families that there was for white families to move from that working class to middle class. And so fatherlessness is really more about- The systemic issues that right. are there, the, right. the yeah. historical oppressions that have come through. Yeah, I, I think the only thing, man, that's so good. And and I just want to reiterate too, everything that Marcus just said, that's data proven, study after study after study after study yeah, after study shows, all of that stuff. Like it sounded great, but there, it, it's also 
well researched. Right. Uh, and so we can't just throw blame black back on impoverished right. communities right. that look at the statistics. Right. Systemic racism is not an, an opinion that you get to hold or discount. Right, right. Uh, one, one thing I would want for, the, for a, a person that, that, would, that would articulate that, another thing I would want them to know is who's who says that that's not a concern in the black community? Mm -hmm. So even if even mm. if we took even if we took the the premise that they that they made, which isn't right, but okay, all right, great. Fatherlessness is is an, is an issue in the black community. Let, let's go down that pathway. Um, definitely want to ask why you think that is, and that's that's where uh, what Marcus said was right on. Yeah. But I just want to say, how who are you listening to in the yeah. black community? It, all of the all. All of the culture influencers that I'm aware of in, in the black community, you, you even hear this, all the, all the hip hop guys. And the, so we, we, we criminalized rap music you know, a long time ago. So rap is forever, you know, it's bad music, it's influencing you know, people to do bad things. That's, the, that's the, you know, a common white perspective. But what you're seeing is all, all of the like, godfathers, the, old, the older guys, they're, they're just pleading with young men to be great fathers, to be great dads, to, grow in mental health issues, um, to, to invest in the community. There's this like this, uh, mentorship that's happening even, even in the music industry in the, in the television industry in the acting community. So it, that message is going out in the community. So to say that it's not happening in the black community is, is maybe showing that you're not paying attention to what's happening in the black community. Sure. You're standing yeah. on the outside. Why would you be privy to that critiquing. information? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so instead we're just saying, well, you wouldn't struggle so much if you just did things the way I did them. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I think, I think it's helpful to, again, be in relationship with people. Yeah. Like I, I look at my own life and, and it's not about individuals, right? But I just want to get the individual pieces. I'm married to a white woman. I will tell you when I look at my family and go out to cousins, second cousins, I've got I've got one divorce in that in the midst of that, and that's people that at all class levels, as far as the black community is concerned, right? Uh, my my wife's, it's I mean, you, you have to you just go one level out, and mm. it's just it's constant, right? Mm. So um, it, it's it, it's something that we just have to be aware that generalization of that stuff that that's the issue, sure. as if people are sitting in their community, even sure. if it is, even if fatherlessness is is a problem, they're going like you said, it's like oh, this is awesome. You know what I mean? We want yeah. to continue this thing. No, they, they yeah. desire, and, and men desire to be fathers, too. Except when everything that you're learning about a group of people comes from social media or the news. Right. Yeah, yeah. You might have a limited perspective. Yeah, agree. Number six, Christians can't support Black Lives Matter. They're attacking the nuclear family. They affirm LGBTQ, and they support Planned Parenthood. This is our last one. Good one to end on. Um, so I looked at, I, I, I went to the, it, it's been a minute since I looked at Black Lives Matter and, uh, in terms of what their, what their beliefs are. Um, I had somebody ask me, I mean, in a sense, it's kind of a statement of, um, it's like a line in the sand. Are you, are you with Black Lives Matter or not? Which will either be an invitation to friendship or exclusion. You know, it's yeah. kind of, that's kind of the, the, the line in the sand. Um, so where I where I stand with this is the phrase Black Lives Matter needs to happen. Uh, a movement needs to happen that champions Black Lives as mattering. <laughs> the 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 the, um, the it's become a, a household name. The Black Lives Matter, and early on, early on, it forced a conversation 
that was when everybody was saying all lives matter. No, wait, we're not saying all lives don't matter. You know, that, that conversation was, was happening uh, whenever they first started out. Um, and so it needed to happen. It, it forced the conversation to happen, which I'm really, really uh, grateful for. Um, I also, I, I also as, I, as I look through the bullet points of Black Lives Matter, I don't, I don't agree with all of the, the, the tenets. Now, now let me caveat, when I say I don't agree, what I mean is I'm not championing some of those same bullet points that they're championing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm, I'm not about that. I negotiate interactions and partnerships with people that I don't agree with all the time, all over the place. You I'm, eat dinner I'm, every I'm, night like with people you... <laughs> with somebody. It's like that. So, so there's always a negotiation of it. I, I don't like my, my church that I work for and love, I don't line up with 100%. So, so there's always a negotiation of I agree with a lot of things and I disagree with some things. So when I say, I guess whenever I'm forced into a moment where I have to say whether I'm for or against Black Lives Matter, what I'll say is I'm for, I'm for the movement. I'm for the phrase. I'm for many parts of the movement that have forced conversation to happen that needed to happen. I'm for the advocacy that happens because of Black Lives Matter, but I don't, but I'm going to disagree with a couple of, of the tenets that they have in there. Mm-hmm. And I have a hard time understanding what, what's wrong with that. Yeah. But I don't know. Um, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because how many wonky things have been done in the name of Christianity? I'm not ever going to quit calling myself one. That's, so yes. we don't need to be a card carrying member. There's no dotted line to sign on for me to proudly mm-hmm. um, and boldly and without reservation say Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I think about it even <laughs> like biblically, you know what I mean? Uh, you think about the story of the Good Samaritan. Right. And as you're maneuvering through that story, Jesus is setting up ultimately the, the Samaritan as the hero in that story. Right. And you've got the two people who kind of walked by the, the, the guy on the ground, the one who was hurting, were religious people. Right. They, they walked by. They had all their theology correct. And yet they didn't enter into justice. Right. And, and what Jesus lines up is he lines up that the Samaritan who didn't have all his theology correct, but he understood the tenet of justice and he participated in it. And he became the hero of the story. Amen. And so that goes to your point. Like, you know, we, <laughs> Jesus is, there's, there's an understanding that, yeah, not all of the theology may line up, but when you're doing the work that is, that does line up, that you partner with that. And really the, the biggest, the biggest concern about the existence of Black Lives Matter and even the conversation is that we have to have an organization like that. Right. Um, and, and that the church doesn't become a place that would say that, right? Like, cause I want to say to people like, okay, so you don't like Black Lives Matter. Like, what is your alternative structure? That's right. Right. The, because we're the, seeking support that should already be there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that, all that narrative of saying that, that there's a group of people who have been oppressed that matters, that is biblical stuff that we can connect with and we can, we can work off of. And to your point, we can partner with people on. We partner with people on working in homelessness, right? And partner with people working on the hunger issue. But whenever it comes down to this black issue, there seems to be an obstacle there, which yeah. is fascinating to me. Always. You know, so it's an intellectual cover. It's like we yeah. want to get into these weeds to eke our way out of allyship. And so if it's if it's about the nuclear family, I mean it kind of goes back to this fatherlessness thing, which is you know, let's ask the question why? Mm-hmm. Why are we talking about a more village approach to raising yeah, children? Exactly. Nobody's coming after your nuclear family. Well, and yeah. This to, is about necessity. And to your point, like if we were giving them a great visual of a nuclear family, right, then they wouldn't even be thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Possibly. I don't know. 
but there's this sense of we can't even kind of if we're and again it's, it's distraction we can't sit back and go like that we have it all figured out and that these tenants that they're going against or that they're talking about in yeah. some ways that we yeah. we can step into that and go well we know how to do all those things like because yeah. we just we're all we're all not uh we're all we're all sinners and we all have these things in which we need to be redeemed of and that's a part of it too it's like okay let's just say that you don't agree with mm -hmm. the tenets of black lives matter mm -hmm. let's just say that there's things in there that are that are not christian which would make sense it's not a christian organization mm -hmm. is not our job here to enter into those spaces where the gospel is not being preached Amen. and preach the gospel Amen. right like and, and and if you can find something to agree <laughs> on that creates a pathway into those spaces then that's that's fantastic that's that's literally why we are right. still here right is to use our platforms in ways we can agree to go into those spaces yeah. it's the story of the samaritan woman where jesus ultimately he says i'm going into samaria and when he gets there he finds a he finds a way to get her off guard in that he approaches her with love and with yeah. grace and he does things that she was not expecting wait you're 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 hanging out with me. Right, uh -huh. uh, you're not supposed to be hanging out with me. That's what mm -hmm. I'm told. Is you're not supposed. Well, I am here hanging out with you, mm -hmm. and I need a drink. Wait, you're gonna ask me to do mm -hmm. something for you? Mm -hmm. Like, no, nah, you're the you're the Jews. You're the big man on campus. Why do you need me? Mm -hmm. Yes, but I'm still asking you to do it. Mm -hmm. And he and then after he got her in that moment, he earned the right then to now speak into That's her right. social That's right. issues that she was having, That's right. and then deal with her theological yeah, issues. Of course. And that changed her life and the That's course right. of that town. So why don't we as Christians go? Black Lives Matter. We we are with you at this point. Let me tell you about these other things that we yes. think might actually strengthen Amen. your strengthen Praise your God. I, I think I think it, we also have to pay attention to the fact that Black Lives Matter rose because of a gap that's that it. existed. Yeah. Exactly, and that's a gap that the, that the church has the vision and the mandate and the ethic to provide for that we didn't. Yeah, and we left a void. Yeah. So Black Lives Matter had to step in. Now, to your to your point, Marcus. We, gosh, the vision. I mean, even as I've gotten to share my faith with people that are that are maybe in more sociology world, communicating the biblical view of what justice is and what love is is so compelling. It's it's there in the scriptures to people who study about sociology, societies and, and downfalls and revolution and all that stuff. To people that study that stuff, the biblical view of love and um, and justice is extremely compelling through the person of Jesus and, mm. and through his life. So I, I absolutely, absolutely agree with that. Yeah. So, you know, um, I, I'm interested in our desire, just as humans, um, to be the injured party. It's like, no, I'm the persecuted one here. Mm. And so it seems as though you know, th there becomes this excuse, whether it's they support Planned Parenthood, well, I can't, I mean, if you want to go down the list of all of the things, if that's what you're going to take up, you're not going to participate in anything that supports Planned Parenthood. You, you can't Google, you can't, I, know, I mean, you, let's yeah. go, let's go through, go through all, all the restaurants and the stores and the, right. Yeah. And so, but, but you found a loophole here. Why? So why, mm -hmm. why, why and here? right here or, or LGBTQ, well, we don't get to cherry pick who has human dignity. Of yeah. course they're for LGBTQ. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Um, I'm just, I, I find it interesting more so about human nature of, no, I'm, I'm fetishized persecution. No, that's me. That yeah. Yeah. And we're always looking for a way out, out of, of engaging in the hard work. And that's where we are right now. We're in a moment that's going to require hard work. Yeah. And you can do the easy work. You can, you can post and say things, whatever you want to do. You can, you can do a couple of even, you know, we talked about even before we got on here, you can 
tear down some statues and things like that. But there's there's a much harder work mm -hmm. at play, right? That's yeah. the, that's that hard work that we need mm -hmm. to do and transforming work, which is what God does. Mm -hmm. But we need to be in the game right. to be right. able to to be able to introduce people right. to what that is, and we actually need to be a great model of that, yes. which we're yeah. not. And, so good. and this is why this is a uh, this is a moment for the church. It is. And here's the deal, you know, many people don't want to change. They don't want to see change happen. But if you hate change, you're going to hate irrelevancy even more. <laughs> oh, right. So it's just that's like good. You, to, you have got to get in this yeah, thing and figure right. out yeah. how to bring the message in a different mode yeah. to the yeah. people. I was going to say, Marcus, I, I and the first two questions that you that you answered, I appreciated. I feel like. In these questions, which, as Allison said, she put a trigger warning beforehand, you know, because it's because these questions are probably don't feel great to hear as, as a black person. Um, and yet you in all of these questions, you tried to think the way that person would have thought like you immediately. I feel like followed the Philippians two model of, of humbling yourself to try to understand even something that could be so hurtful to hear you tried to give dignity and respect to the asker of those, of those questions. Yeah. I really appreciate that. I appreciate that you, you modeling that. Yeah. To, likewise, to likewise, Ryan, you do that too. Mm -hmm. You're like, here's how, where I've been guilty. Here's how, yeah. I mean, both of y'all stepping into each other's shoes, um, as much as we're able is, is really beneficial for the conversation. Thank y'all so much. Listen, I know we all want to fight for human dignity and we want to stand up against injustice wherever we see it and work to set right this world that God created and, and loves. And that's because we believe in thy kingdom come. This is not about salvation only. This is about the joy and peace that we are told that we can experience here and living out the Jesus way. And so just want to hope for better alongside you too and um i've been told somewhere that hope doesn't disappoint and so i'm just <laughs> clinging to the word right now <laughs> clinging right. to the word yes. thank y'all so much for coming on the show Absolutely. i hope to have y'all back as as regulars y'all are so dear to me Always thank you Great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. Dear God, we long to head upstream and dismantle racism. And to do that, we know that we are not just battling against flesh and blood, but also against powers and principalities. Please, God, give us a zeal for righteousness. And please let us never grow used to unrighteousness. God, please guide us as we try to find our way. Open our eyes, open our hearts. Give us knowledge to understand, not just on a personal level, but also a societal level, the pain and harm of racism. Help us to get rid of whatever it is that might be in the way that prevents us from defending human dignity. Convict us, God, where we are responsible for contributing to pain. And please lead us as we might hope to sit beside that pain. Show us our complicity. Convict us of our indifference. How often, God, do we take for granted our own comfort? How often do our own hearts hide or our own mouths close when you are prompting us to do more? Thank you for your mercy. 
Above all, God, please bring justice to those who have been oppressed and persecuted. Let it roll like a river. We pray these things in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And for this episode, a special thank you to Marcus Lloyd and Ryan Pale. Head to wearethreaded.org to check out Marcus's racial reconciliation ministry and check out Colored Commentary wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you to Pamela Anthony Cutright and Chen Redfield for music. Center Saint Sister now has a Patreon page. Please consider supporting Center Saint Sister by searching for Allison Sullivan on patreon.com. Many episodes are now only available for patrons. Send us your questions at centersaintsister at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at Allison M. Sully. Don't forget to review, like, and subscribe, and tune in next week.